Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist editor with Rick Rory. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney Maislin. we got sports topics of local interest from the Bengals to college football to college basketball and much more. we got a gambling segment we will get to and my favorite portion of the podcast where you could ask me a question on any topic. Just go to the X-verse, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them and asks them and I answer them. It does not have to be about sports. Rick, how are we doing since we last talked a week ago? Skinny, it's almost here. This is my favorite time of year. You know that. The, 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 just the college basketball start or the crossover amalgamation of everything going on at once? I mean, both, yes. I mean, the fact that college basketball is here would be enough for me, but the fact that we have this overlap, it is truly the greatest time of the year. I think I say that every year we do this episode, but I love the college basketball preview episode. Yes, indeed. We got a lot to get to on that topic, but we got a lot more to get to on other topics as well. We do. There's there's tons of stuff. Yes, the Bengals got their biggest win. Yes, Joe Burrow played maybe his best game ever as a professional. And yes, the Super Bowl is back on, and we're going to get to that in a second. But first, it is the week before the start of the college basketball season. Actually, the weekend before at this point, as you're probably listening to this as we record here on Thursday morning. So, Skinny, we're going to take a run through the local teams. We typically talk about Cincinnati, Xavier, NKU, and Kentucky during our college basketball segments. We're just going to look at each team. We're going to talk about uh, where they were, which we've already talked about in the conference, uh, pick to finish. And then we're going to get into a little bit of strengths and weaknesses for each team and maybe a few other things as we move along. So let's start off with Cincinnati. They're picked 11th out of 14th in the Big 12. When you look at this team, Skinny, give me a strength that you like about this roster. Um, well, that's a good question. I, I don't know what that strength is. And maybe that therein lies the issue at the moment of, um, you know, I, I guess it's, you could argue it's the most talented team he's had maybe, um, because David Julius and Landers Nolly were really good college basketball players. Um, and I, and I just don't know what they have is Jizzle James, the real deal or not. Um, you know, is, is Skilling's going to take the Dan Skilling's going to take this next big step that everybody's predicting he's going to take. You would hope they do, that Jizzle James is the real deal. You would hope that he does. Uh, Dan Skillings does take that big step, but I don't know. So, Rick, I hate to do it. I don't know what their team strength is. I would go wing depth. It's kind of along the same lines you're talking about with that talent. When you look specifically at the wings, you bring in CJ and Seamus Lukosius, who are think on the wing for this team. But you mentioned Dan Skillings. That's a guy that I think could potentially be the most talented player in this. Like, you know, is he even going to start? We, we don't know. Um, John Newman, right last year after they had brought him in as transfer. So that's another guy offensively you would think be able to give you some pop. You still have Reed. You have Rayvon Griffith that they brought in as a freshman that's highly touted. So when you talk, start talking about the wings, I mean, you get five, six names into it with guys that you expect to see some minutes this year. So I would assume that that's going to be their biggest position of strength. And uh, as much as we're talking about them not getting the waivers for the two centers that they brought in via transfer as Z Spandego and Jamil Reynolds, in some ways, I wonder if they might not be playing a small line with someone like C. Moss at the four spot. I mean, he, he played a small ball forward role at Butler for most of his time there. So I, I think he, he's more than capable of handling that. Yeah, you're almost going to have to by default. Um, and maybe that is your best lineup when push comes to shove. You know, I, I know I know there's a lot of hand wringing over the two bigs not you know, not getting their, their waivers. And, and I understand that. But, you know, and, and I'm not here to tell you that's a good thing because I, I certainly think uh, Bandiago would have really helped them a ton, probably more than Jamil Reynolds would have helped. So, so I'm not going to poo-poo that, but maybe honestly your best lineup is playing four smaller wingish guys, um, maybe three in a point guard and then, and then Victor Locken in, inside. And uh, maybe that is the, the best 
conference thing for you. The thing is, I think you can get away with that in the non-conference because it is such a weak non-conference schedule. Are you really going to be able to get away with lack of size in the Big 12? Well, lack of size is concerning. And certainly at the center position, it's going to be a problem for them, I think, if they don't have those those extra guys from the waivers. Uh, but there are a lot of teams that play wings at the forward spot, even in the Big 12. Now their wings may be 6-7. But, NBA, uh, but, but you, NBA level wings, though. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You're, you're going to see some some really talented small ball forwards if you are seeing small ball forwards. So um, it, it's a legitimate question, no doubt. What about weaknesses, Skinny? Do you see a weakness coming into the year for this UC team? Who scores? Who, who scores for them? I, I don't know who scores for them. I don't think they know who scores for them. You know, C.J. Frederick is a nice complimentary player. Laquotius is a nice complimentary player. I mean, are you really counting on Jizzle James to come in and get you 17 a game? Are you really? I mean, maybe he does, but are you, is that what you're counting on? So so who scores? That's, that's a, as, as like my the exact same thing. It, it, you may be a higher IQ team with Frederick and Lukosius. You may move the ball better, and that may improve your offense in some regards. But I do just question game on the line a minute or so left to go and you've got the ball, who are you going to? Who is going to be your guy that, that breaks the other team down and gets you a bucket? Uh, you can complain about Landers, Nolly, and maybe David DeJulius and what they did last season in terms of their overall success, but those are two dudes that when you called their number, they could go get their own basket, create a shot and score. I just don't know if you have that with this year's team. I would also be concerned about the front court play. I mean, we, we were just talking about it, but if you don't have a C Spandego and Jameel Reynolds, you're running it back with Victor Locken and Odio Guama, who quite honestly weren't enough in the front court at the AAC level. Right. They're definitely not going to be enough at the Big 12 level. Yeah, no, and, and and Victor gets in such foul trouble as it is, too. I mean, you're battling even better bigs now. I mean, how much more foul trouble? How quicker is he going to get in foul trouble? Yeah, definitely. All right, Skinny Xavier, sixth out of 11th in the Big East preseason projection in the uh, coaches poll. Strengths for this XU team. What do you see? I mean, Desmond Claude is the strength, in my opinion, and, and I, I think that's where it begins for me. I think there's, so again, so many moving parts, so many new parts that I I don't know what the team strength is. I guess, you know, they're going to try to play faster, and maybe that's uh, that's going to lead to some 91-87 type, type games that, that are going to be fun to watch and, you know, maybe uh, – maybe not end up in wins sometimes. So, yeah, I don't know what this – again, it's funny. I don't know what this team's strength is. I, I You start with Desmond Claude, and then I got a bunch of unknowns around him. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the way it is for the Xavier team with any question you bring up. It's like, this is what I think, but we really don't know anything about this group uh, other right. than Desmond Claude. And, and even Desmond Claude, you're expecting a massive jump from the role that he had on last year's team, and we're all just assuming that it's going to happen because it's right. the only thing we have any – certainty about um I think I would go getting fouled with this group I, I've obviously been able to see them a bit more in the preseason with practices inter squad scrimmages things of that nature uh based on the system that Sean Miller runs which is really focused on trying to get paint touches and trying to get quick fouls on the defense early in possessions and the type of personnel he has this year which I don't think are overly skilled I don't think are as good of shooters as last year or as passers I don't think there's going to be a the the beautiful ball movement all the time that you saw at times last year but I do think they will be physical and tough and get the ball into the paint. And Desmond Claude is going to be a big part of that. Davion McKnight from Western Kentucky, the transfer at the point guard position, will be a big part of that. And then I think they're big men. They're not very skilled, not guys that you can throw it to and run your offense through them. I do think the one thing they might be able to do is bang down low and get some contact and get to the free throw line. So I think offensively, if this team is going to have success, 
a lot of it's going to come at the free throw line. What about weaknesses, Skinny? I think it's the fact you have so many moving parts and, and you, you know, you don't get a chance to really ease into this thing. It's a pretty good non-conference schedule. That's going to, um, you know, potentially prevent you from trying to experiment with stuff. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I think it's going to be hard for this team to, to gel even by the time conference play starts, just because you have so many moving parts. It did help that they had the summer. They had the trip that they took, got a chance to play some games together. Um, but, but let's face it, you had overmatched competition too. So what did that really show you? Um, other than you get some team bonding and you get the chance to at least see another opponent and all those things. I just think there's so many moving parts. I just don't know how it's going to going to gel um, even by the time conference play starts. Maybe it does. I, I would hope it does. But, man, it's just so many different guys. This is in a process that you're not even stopping at the end of this year. I think bring a lot of them back that you see this as a continuation all the way through and into next season you're just going to constantly be trying to develop some of these young guys I mean when you talk about some of the freshmen they have and Trey Green at the point guard spot Dalen Swain on the wing who's an Ohio kid uh Lazar Djokovic a, a big kid they brought over from Serbia Sasha Siani a kid from uh, Lithuania that they brought over who's who's 6'10 a center all of those guys have a lot of potential, and I think they expect to be a big part of what they do next year. So to your point, I think it's just going to be constantly trying to get those guys better and and do as much as you can this year, obviously, but really have an eye on where you're going through the process this year. Um, I think this is the biggest concern. with I just don't see that last year you had Jack Nungy, you even had Zach Freeman that you could slide down at that five spot, and you really had it kind of taken care of. You're going to get a lot of offense. You're going to have centers that could do a lot of different things and give you some versatility and skill and make that offense really flow well. This year, they don't have that same type of talent. I think they have a little bit more toughness inside, but I think they're giving up a lot compared to what they had in seasons past, and especially in this year's Big East, where you're talking about Ryan Kalkbrenner and Donovan Klingen. Um, I mean, there's some big time centers in this conference this year. So I, I, I just, that would be my biggest concern for the Musketeers is how are they going to match up at that spot? Yeah. And even Jerome Hunter got you some, some, some post scoring in the postseason um, and, and came along nicely in that regard. And you're missing that option too. So yeah, I, uh, this will be an interesting team to watch. It's going to be one that's going to have to get a whole lot of scoring from the guard spot. And, and I know the kid, the Rice transfer, I, I, from what I understand, has struggled to this point, and I think they were hoping for some things from him. So um, that's disappointing. But, you know, maybe Davion McKnight and Desmond Claude can get you 35 between them. And if they can, maybe that's enough on, on some nights to win. But that's a big, big ask. Yeah, Quincy Oliveri's the, the transfer from Rice. Yeah. He's a three-point shooter, and they're going to need him to make some shots. Otherwise, they're just not going to have much shooting in that starting lineup. But if he doesn't, keep an eye on freshman Trey Green. He's under six feet tall. He's a point guard by trade, but he can really shoot the heck out of it. And he's been playing really well in preseason practices and in their scrimmages. So if Quincy Oliveri does falter and they're having trouble just getting any three-point shooting generated early in the season, don't be surprised if Trey Green finds his way into that lineup early and often because I think he's going to play a lot. All right, let's move on to NKU. They were picked first out of 11 teams in the Horizon League. What do you see as the strengths for this NKU team coming in? I mean, the fact that they have two of the best players in the league and Sam Vincent and Marquez Warwick, and, and, and that's a great place to start. Um, you know, I, I think for them, too, it's the fact that you have some front court depth for a change and some pretty good front court depth. You got a Marquette transfer and you got a guy who's played inside the league from Wisconsin Green Bay. So, uh, I mean, what a great place to start with with just Vincent and Warwick. But to add 
a high level transfer. Um, he didn't play at a high level at Marquette, mind you, but he but he played for Marquette, and that's a high level team. And to get a guy who's done it inside the league as well, so it's it, it's not as much of an unknown. Uh, I mean, it's I think it's a great place for them to start, and then you got, you've got some added pieces around it. Um, I, I know they they obviously played an overmatched team in an exhibition game in in, in Mount St. Joseph, but they got up and down the floor pretty well. Yeah, they definitely scored a lot of points, which was one of their struggles last year was just scoring enough. They played such great defense. And then, you know, you feel like they're dominating a game. You look up in the final media timeout, and it's like a four-point game. They, they hadn't generated enough offense to separate themselves. So I think that's one thing they'll try to do more of this year. But you're talking about that experience they have. I think that's the big key. The two guys you mentioned are huge. But Trey Robinson, Skinny, he came on last year. And I think if Trey Robinson was returning for Oakland, let's say, there's a good chance he's the best player on that team. Wow. The only reason he's not being talked about more at NKU is because you have Marquez Warwick and Sam Vincent ahead of him. But in the Horizon League, there aren't a lot of six, seven athletes who can handle the ball, shoot it from three, guard multiple spots. I mean, Trey Robinson really is more of that high major type versatile forward that can do a little bit of everything uh, at the Horizon League level. That usually plays well. So I think he's going to be a huge part of what they do. I would also just say their defense. I mean, it was so darn good last year. You returned the, the conference leader in steals from the last two years in Sam Vinson. Marquez work has gotten better. Trey Robinson is a fantastic defender. And, and now you have rim protection. Yeah, Kian Atijere, the kid from Marquette that you've alluded to, is a freak athlete. He had 10 points in the exhibition against Mount St. Joe's. I think all of them were off of dunks, and most of them, his head <laughs> were above the rim for him. I mean, that's just going to be his role all season long. He's playing above the rim on both ends of the court. I think he's going to be a fan favorite for certain. What do you see as far as weaknesses, Skinny? I don't know if there are any. And I think the, the, that, that's, that, and that puts a little bit, I guess maybe the pressure of, the expectations that you're picked to win the league. You've got the talent to win the league. Um, you've got the talent to maybe make somebody squirm in the NCAA tournament, but you got to get there. And, and expectations in a one bid league are really, really hard to live up to because it is, I think there is a little, I, I thought they played so free last year in the conference tournament for whatever reason, it just felt like they had nothing to lose and everything to gain this time around. It feels like they had everything to lose and little to gain other than winning the league and maybe going to the NIT as a consolation. And I don't think anybody wants that. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said. That that will wear on you. Those expectations of you are the team expected to win all season. Last year, you know, Milwaukee won the regular season in the Horizon League. So you're right. right. And you kind of came from behind and surprised people playing really well at the end of the year like that. Uh, so I think that's a legit concern. I would add a few more things, and one being guard depth. I think that the guys that they've got that we've talked about are really, really good. But then you look after them. Uh, what what's on the roster after them. And it's like Hubie Pavorius is, is one of their most talented uh, backups. He hasn't really played much at all yet to this point uh, and dealing with some injury issues. Uh, and then after that, it's probably a freshman in Randall Pettis, who still has a lot of learning to do very talented scorer, but really picking things up as we go still. So uh, I think that would be my biggest question is guard depth. And then the other thing is rebounding. They've really dominated the glass the last few seasons with guys like Adrian Nelson and Chris Brandon, I think NKU fans are going to find out just how incredible of rebounders those two players were, especially Chris Brandon last season, because this year, even though they have two new bigs, I don't think they're going to rebound at the same level as they did a season ago. But this should be a good rebounding team. I mean, it should, it should be. be. Yeah, it should I mean, be. you've got the athleticism. You mentioned Trey Robinson at 6'7". Sam Vincent's a big guard at 6'5", and is, is a good athlete. This should be a good rebounding team, though. 
It should be part of it, I think, is because of the way their defense flies around and moves around a lot. I think sometimes you'll have guys that are out of position and Chris Brandon cleaned up all of that for everyone last year. He was the guy that just went and got the ball. Someone's got to go and get the ball this year for them. And I'm not sure if the new big men have picked up on that role just yet. We'll see. It's one of my concerns. I don't know if I'd say it's necessarily a weakness yet, but it's a concern or a question I'd have going in. All right, now Kentucky skinny. They were picked fourth out of 14 teams in the SEC this season. What do you see as a strength for this year's Wildcats team? I mean, clearly the depth of talent. You, you got, you've got multiple wings. You've got multiple point guards. You've got 21 feet of guys that are sitting on the bench at the moment, not playing, um, who are very skilled. So I, I think it's honestly, it's depth of talent. This, this, this roster is one of the most talented, in my opinion, that Cal's had in a while. Oh, I, yeah, I forgot I would... Trey Mitchell. I forgot Trey Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more talent, it feels like, than he's had the last few seasons when he's been kind of going into the mid-major ranks and trying to get transfers up and and play it through that route. I, I would also add shot makers on this year's team. It feels like every year we've been talking about when are they going to have some guys that can make some shots from the outside? Where are they going to have some guys that can make their own shot off the dribble? And, you know, it's it feels like since Devin Booker and Jamal Murray and some of those guys, you haven't really seen those types of shot makers on the floor for the Wildcats. Um, this year, you know, Reeves, you start with him as an experienced player, but then Wagner, Dillingham, I think even Reed Shepard will come off the bench and, and make a lot of outside shots for this team. So I think that's going to be a nice improvement from an offensive perspective. What do you see from a weaknesses or question mark standpoint, Skinny? I think it would be what style are they going to play? You know, right now it's kind of the five out because of, of again, the three seven footer sitting on the bench. And it looks really fun and it looks really good and it looks really effective and it looks modern and all of those things. But you got three seven footers and you're going to have to do something with them. And listen, I know, you know, supposedly Bradshaw can play out on the perimeter. The, 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 the Croatian kid, Big Z, can play out on the perimeter, but they're still seven feet tall and you're still going to put them around the basket at some point. Is that going to change the style, that, the way you want to play it? You know, maybe that just makes it a more versatile team that you can play through the post on occasion. You can play without the post on occasion, but. What style is going to fit this team best? And it'll be weird if it if it fits it best without the seven-footers being on the floor. Now, Bradshaw, again, is more of a stretch four than he probably is a five. But still, um, how how are they going to play and what are the, what is what is going to suit them best? Yeah. And also, just health. I mean, it seems like yeah. that's a big hurdle for them to overcome right now. Can they get these guys healthy and up to speed in time? Because it's like, oh, they'll be back. They keep saying, well, they're going to be back. Right. Okay, but if they're back a few games into the season and then it takes them a month or two to kind of get up to game speed and get on the same page as everyone, that could be costing Kentucky seed lines or right. even worse, right. potentially. Uh, so I, I think that's a real concern. And and from, from that standpoint, too, just the timing of everything. Like, you, you've got to thread a needle here with all these guys getting on the same page, getting together, figuring out your lineups and your rotations. It's going to be a, a heck of a coaching job here for for Cal and his staff coming up this year. And they have enough talent to find success and they need to find success this year. Otherwise it, it could get really ugly here at next off season. And we're no going to get more into that in just a second. But, but before we talk more about that skinny, which of these three will, will eliminate Kentucky from the mix for now, which of these three Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky and Xavier are most likely to make the NCAA tournament and miss the NCAA tournament. Oh, make, I think is NKU. And I say that knowing it's just a one bid league and they have to win the, win the league tournament to get there. Uh, at least for me, as you see, cause I just don't see them having much success in the big 12. They are going to roll through the non-conference and that might include a win over Xavier on top of it. 
Um, I do think they'll get challenged by NKU, but there is a payback involved there a little bit for some of those guys. Um, yeah, I just, again, I don't know if we're going to even know about this UC team in the non-conference because the schedule's so bad. So I think it's going to be such a wake-up call when they get in the Big 12 that they may not be ready for that level of competition, to be quite frank. Yeah, so we're going to see them play Xavier, Dayton, and Georgia Tech, really, and NKU. Those yeah. are like the four games the four that we're games. going to yeah. learn about, right? Yeah. Um, would you is it is it too dramatic to say that this this Xavier game feels hugely? I mean, probably the most important game on the schedule for West Miller this year. Yeah. Um, a because you 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 know last year he got it. Well, maybe it isn't because maybe if he loses to him again, he'll get another extension. I mean, maybe that's how this works. Um. <laughs> You know, no, I, I do think it weird, is because we're trying to announce an extension. Yes, I, I do think it is for multiple reasons. A, because, again, it's it's time to beat the rival. Uh, and B, you don't have a chance in the non-conference to make no offense to NKU. That's not a statement win. It will be one of their better wins, probably, but it's not a statement win. Georgia Tech sure as hell isn't going to be either. Um, so your opportunities dwindle. Dayton's a nice team and they'll probably be in the mix in the in the A-10, but that's a so what, what's your one statement win is a Big East team and, and it's Xavier. And that might, no offense to Xavier fans, I said this a couple weeks ago, Rick, that may not even be a quality win either when all is said and done because we don't know what Xavier's going to turn out to be. It might not be, but it's a win that you have to have if you're West Miller this Agreed. year. Especially yeah. It's a year where you might not make the NCAA tournament. And I think everyone would agree that that's very much up in the air as you transition into the Big 12. I, I, like, there's not a lot of big games on this schedule because of the non-conference slate. The fact that you have the whole local thing tied in with it like the nku game is you have to win that game to avoid losing the fan base forever you lose twice to the local mid-major and i don't know there are going to be a lot of people who just say you're not the guy and write you off for good regardless of what happens next the xavier game is you can win a lot lot of over because i think wes has created some momentum job he's done the the jordan the nike stuff coming back all creating some nice momentum and nostalgia for this uc program i think people want to be in on west miller they like what they see from west miller but they need some results and i think the it can struggling the first year in the big 12 and needing to make but you got to beat xavier at some point and this is likely to be a down year for xavier at least in comparison to what you've faced recently you should be more even in terms of the matchup maybe even better than xavier this year this is a xavier game that you got to win in my opinion if you're West Miller. Yeah, win the rival game. Yeah, win the rival game, and you can survive whatever happens in the Big 12. You really can, because I think everybody should understand that it is just such a big step up right away with a roster that's not ready to compete at that level, in my opinion. And that's that's the next step for West Miller is to get the roster ready to compete at that level. So, uh, I mean, and, the, and listen, the expectations aren't set very high. As you mentioned, they're picked 11th in the league, so expectations aren't high either. Um, but you can't, you know, slop your way through a sloppy non-conference schedule and a couple of tests you get not past them, especially against the rival. Yeah, definitely. So we're talking about the coaches a little bit, and a lot of the, the big conversation every year is the coaching carousel when the season ends, who's lead, who might leave. Uh, just checking in with each school's coach, it feels like there's feel like we're very likely to see any coaching changes. But uh, I guess if we're going to start off with the most uh, the most questionable, it would be at Kentucky probably right now with John Calipari. Obviously, the fan base is getting restless. He's also getting later in his career to the point where at some point he could just walk away from this and decide he's had enough of the the pressure at Kentucky. But there's also this athletic article that just came out this week from Kyle Tucker. And it, it really goes in depth with five former Cal staffers who have left and moved on to do other things. 
who were willing to go on the record and tell some stories and give some behind the scenes insights on what's been going on with Kentucky's program and specifically with John Calipari over the last few years. And I, I wouldn't say that they crushed him necessarily skinny. It feels right. a lot more like people who like him and liked working at one point and then feel like he kind of lost his marbles or needed an intervention, so to speak, I guess is what they were, they were calling it on the radio the other day. What did you think when you saw this article and how much of this do you feel like is a real thing percolating behind the scenes at Kentucky and boiling up to to maybe spell the end of Coach Cal's tenure there? Yeah, I, I thought it, it hit on some stuff that we probably um, thought was going on, um, you know, you know, the John Robick thing and what John Robick brought to the staff and when he left kind of what he meant, you know, Dwayne Peavy, now the athletic director at um at DePaul and, and what he meant as kind of a buffer. He was, um, he was not the athletic director of Kentucky. He was a media relations guy. And then kind of an in-between, an in-between, I think he got promoted past that, whatever level he was. Um, but he was kind of a, a, a buffer for Cal. Um, you know, Tony Barbie, an assistant who played for Cal also, and, and the buffer for him and just how, and you're right. You know, most people um, who were critical of Cal or talked about that also talked about the genius that he is. And, you know, the, 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 all the things that he used to do that he doesn't do anymore. And, and I, I think it really just hit on how much pressure has really come upon him and how he's not handled it. I mean, you remember last year the, the, and they used the postgame radio show after the Vanderbilt game where he just got up and left and said, I'm tired. I'm sorry. You, that's not if you're tired. Get out. That, that's the I guess that would be the point for me. And listen, I get it. He's 64 years old and it is a damn demanding profession. Um, but you also paid handsomely for that. So I don't I don't need to hear I'm tired. If you're tired, give it up. Now, maybe this year will energize him, Rick. We talked about that. He's kind of gone back to I'm going to play my freshman guys. And yeah, he did get Trey Mitchell as a as a, as a transfer. Um, but for the most part, he's trying to get a lot of freshmen to play and, and do it his way. And maybe it does. But boy, there is going to be some real angst if there's a handful of losses along the way. And it's just going to build and build and build. And then he has to have a successful march. I don't know what that means, successful. It just can't be a flop like it's been the last few marches. Well, and one of the most interesting parts, I thought, was a lot of people talk about Calipari's offense. And there's the notion that he doesn't coach any offense. He just rolls the ball out, balls out there and let them play. And it's funny listening to people behind the scenes. They're like, kind of, it's almost been the opposite of, he used to be more innovative, give his guys more creativity and freedom and, and license to, to do what they do and be the talents that they are. And over the last few years, he's gotten really restrictive and and tight and conservative with his offense and is like archaic with it. It's it's old school stuff that has kind of passed the the, the games passed him by. I, I, I thought all of that just it sort of confirmed a lot of things that sure. we've been feeling or talking about. And I brought up multiple times on this podcast that when Cal first took that job at Kentucky for the first several years, I mean, it was intoxicating to listen to him. It was a constant sales pitch but he was so good at it. Everything he said, it was like playing to the fan base, even the little guys at the coffee shop that want him to sit down and meet with them once a year in the off season or whatever. He was doing all that stuff. And he was just everything. He had it perfect. And like the last two, three seasons, every year, with the fan base and he's getting into these weird spats and it comes off like he's, unappreciative and and disgusted by his own fans and things like that it's like what happened to him there it seems like he lost that touch and that was pretty much said just with the fan base it's with everyone including uh, one of those most trusted confidants and john robick for the last 30 years yeah it was a well-done piece um 
Kyle used the timeline of the Wisconsin game, the loss, the, the year they were 38-0 and lost in the Final Four is kind of the beginning of the end. And I'm not sure I completely agree with that part of it. It feels like the COVID year when he had a good team that didn't get a chance to participate. We don't, we'll never know how that season would have turned out, right? Because um, it was a good team and it did have success and it was poised for maybe a big time March. And it, that seems like the, the 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 end line for me of that COVID team since then. It just, it, it hasn't been the same. Do you remember Cam Cam Fletcher? No, I don't think. I think he ended up transferring elsewhere, maybe uh, somewhere in the ACC. But he was on Kentucky's bench that year, and he was like, Cal was fighting with him, and he cried on the bench. And then oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Team, okay, yeah. And yeah, yeah, Cal yeah, like, yeah, called yeah. his mom, and he came. Yep. That was when I remember where things started to get really weird, where it was just like, why is he just constantly fighting with everybody? Why does it seem like everything is turning into these weird uh, eruptions with Cal? And ever since then, it's been kind of this uh, same thing, whether it be with Matt Jones, the Kentucky sports radio host, or uh, his own assistant coaches, or the other one was TJ Beisner. I mean, that's a guy who who started running Coach Cal like men and loved Kentucky and Coach Cal more than anyone, I think, that you could ever think. And then just up and where decides to move to North Carolina to run their NIL collective. That seemed very much like a, I'm just, I'm done with this place. I can't handle it anymore. I've got to move on. Yeah. There, there's two stories there too. One is I think he's got a, a, a kid that goes to Carolina too. So, and wanted to be with or by him or near him. So maybe there was a little more to the story of him just up and bolting, but you're right. It was weird. Cause he is absolutely, he loves Kentucky. Um, and, and you're right, just kind of up and bolted. And that was fairly alarming to a lot of people, um, you know, uh, at, at the time over the, the, this off season that that took place. So, yeah, um, again, it was, I thought Kyle, Kyle did a really good job with the story. I, it confirmed a lot of what we thought, um, but I thought he did a very good job with it. And again, I, the only thing I disagree with is the line of demarcation being that Wisconsin loss. I, I honestly think it was that COVID team that, that since then it feels like that's when everything's gone backwards. I also thought that line was interesting that he said it started after that. And maybe it did. I have no idea. I'm not yeah, there, but I just, yeah. thought, I just thought that was an interesting note that, that they felt that the Wisconsin loss had something to do with what started this uh, spin by Cal. After Cal, if you look at the local coaches, the guy that I think is most likely to potentially leave for somewhere else after this season would be Darren Horn. Sure. And I, I obviously it's not because of uh, – the fact that he would be let go. But if NKU goes to the tournament again this year, you have to imagine there's going to be some high major programs coming strong after Darren again. Agreed. My question is been there, done that didn't work out so well. Would he want to do that again? It's a good question. I know the I money, one, I mean, the money would be worth it. It always is, but the money would be worth it. And you also, I think I'm sure, you know, the coaches would never say this, but you have to factor in at some point, like Marquez work and Sam Vincent aren't going to be there forever. True. You know, do, do you want to continue to see how this program develops when those guys aren't there? Maybe you do. I mean, Darren Horn has been completely bought in. He's sold the program as much as anyone has uh, since he's been at NKU. So I don't see any indication that that's the case. But I mean, I think anybody who is in the college basketball world would see that as a reasonable scenario. So the other thing about Darren is he was making a, a lot of money and doing really well as an ESPN anchor or uh, college basketball. Anchor. So yeah, it wouldn't be surprising at all if. He did say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead, make another huge killing at the high major level. And if it doesn't work out again, then I'll just go right back to TV and, and kill it doing that again. 
Yeah, and, and in, in defense of, of what I said, and that, I don't mean that as a shot at Darren because I said been there, done that, didn't work. Um, he was a very successful coach at Western Kentucky. Um, and maybe the South Carolina situation just is what it is. And they've had some success. Eddie Fogler had some success. Uh, Dave Odom had a little bit of success. But that's 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 always going to be a – obviously, Frank Martin took him to a Final Four. But that and they got ran like a, out. Yeah, and that almost feels like a, a one-off, to be quite frank, for the, the rest of his tenure. Um it's just a tough place, especially in this league, to go win. So, you know, maybe that just was the wrong situation for Darren Horn. Maybe in a better situation, a more winnable situation, he will find success. But again, when you've been there, done that, and it didn't work out, do you want to go through that process again? Well, I think you definitely gain more appreciation for what else is out there and a job like NKU. And he's proven that. I mean, the success sure. he's had at NKU and the way he's bought into the community and program, it I think says that. Um, next I mean, the, the other two guys, I just don't see any possibility of them going anywhere anytime soon. But I mean, I guess you you look to Wes in terms of stability. He probably has a little less stability than Sean. But I mean, his buyout is too high for at least three more seasons right. for them to even consider doing anything. Yeah. And I think there's a fairness involved, too. Um, now, now the, the, the issue is he didn't build up enough cachet in a way by by not taking UC in a weak league to the NCAA tournament. Um but again, he also didn't fail. There were some failures along the way in individual games, NKU being chief among them last year. But it hasn't been a total fail by any stretch. And he's done a pretty good job recruiting. Not enough at the Big 12 level, but he's still done a pretty good job recruiting. And I think the fairness factor is, even this year, and I, again, I, I would steal myself if I'm a UC fan, that it's going to be a rough go in the Big 12. I hope it's not. I hope they find more success than I think they're going to have. But even if they don't, there, there still is, all right, this is the transition to the Big 12. And then maybe you need to see what the roster's like next year. But if you're four years in and two of those years you spun your wheels or you actually went backwards by, by having just some ugly records in the Big 12 simply because those teams are better than you, at what point after year four do you have to swallow hard if you're UC's administration? Skinny, the buyout after this year is 15 I understand. Million. I know the buyout it. After I know next it. Next year is 13 I know million. It. The buyout the following year is 10 I million. I mean, like, we're not even in the range. But if of you're not heading in, right. But if you're not heading in the right direction, can you afford to to keep the bus rolling forward? I, and some of this, I mean, you you pin on the well, AD but, for jumping the gun last year to some degree with the extension. And that's why that extension at that time is is really, really questionable. But I assume the whole point there by John Cunningham was, Wes Miller's my guy. No I'm going to live or die with him. He's going to kind of decide my fate either way. So I'm going to give him as much stability and recruiting cachet as he needs to tell recruits that, it's an, I'm not in danger. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here. And then they're going to give me time to see this Big 12 transition through. And that's all well and good, and that's fair. But the other thing you got to think about, Skinny, is that football situation ain't looking so good I know right it. now. I know. So it. if you got to pay a big football buyout in a couple of years, too, you're definitely not going to be able to pay a big basketball buyout. And, and again, Wes Miller, like you said, it has not been a disaster at all. I think what uh, Mo Egger puts it perfectly. He says, Wes Miller needs to win the game that he's not supposed to win. Because he's right. only done that one so far, and it was right away against Illinois, and everyone's forgotten about that, and it didn't amount to much for that team I after. Forgot, I forgot about that. It's what he said. I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, and so, like, other than that, he hasn't won the game. He's won games that he's supposed to win, but he hasn't won any games that, you know, would be considered a big win, really, for, for UC. And I think that's what they're kind of looking for. And the problem with this year is, you know, once you get into Big 12 play, sure, there'll be some wins, but your record will be what it is. Non-conference-wise, there just really isn't that big marquee game you're not supposed to win out there again I, that's why i think the, the crosstown shootout is so big for west miller agreed. and this uc team yeah. agreed and then finally uh sean miller i mean it's just hard to imagine him going yeah. anywhere in the near future I, I think we have to be a few more years down the road before you think like 
He's had a bunch more success at Xavier and something has changed her perception of the way he feels about the place. Again, I go to the back to the been there, done that, went to the high major route and it ended ugly, right? So do you want to go through that process again when you can make a comfortable salary at Xavier? You're in a big conference. You're in a big time. You're in the conference that you grew up playing in and coaching in. Um, it just seems like this is the – it felt like this was a perfect landing spot for him and a perfect fit to stay for as long as he should stay, which maybe is the rest of his career. Yeah, which, by the way, it's a little bit different too because it's not like he went up to the, the bigger school and then flopped and was like, I didn't get to no, the correct. He went and had success for a decade and was one of the premier programs. He didn't get to the Final Four, but he had uh, did everything else that you could possibly do in terms of uh, postseason success and regular season, season success. So I think – I think Sean Miller has really experienced that part of his life. He's also made enough money at Arizona to be post-economic at this point. I mean, right, he's probably not right. really too worried about how much money he's making. So uh, that's a big part of it as well. All right, real quick, let's fly through this. Odds to win the conference regular season. Kentucky is 4-1 to one to win the SEC. NKU is 5-1 to one to win the Horizon League. Xavier is 30-1 to one to win the Big East. And UC is 45-1 to one to win the Big 12. Which one of those do you like the most? Uh, NKU at five to one, um, Kentucky at four to one doesn't seem like it's value just because of how good the league is. I mean, this can, this has a chance to be a really good Kentucky team that can finish second or third in the sec and still be a, a, maybe a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament for goodness sakes. Um, so I, I, I think they have a real good chance to win the conference, but I don't like the four to one odds. NKU is the best team in the conference. And you're going to give me five to one to win it. Give, sign me up for that. You see, you can't give me enough odds to take them to win the big 12 and the same for Xavier. You know, Xavier could have a really nice season. And to me, that would be finishing fourth or fifth in the Big East. There's just too many really good teams above them to think they're going to leapfrog all of them. So Xavier and UC, I'm putting way to the wayside. Give me NKU at 5-1 to win the horizon. Yeah, I mean, if Xavier ended up as a top 15 team this year, I think everyone would say, that's unbelievable. That's incredible. And yet, that probably the means they're third or fourth in the Big East. Right. Yeah. So, um, and it's funny, you'll see here in a second, as we talk about the final four, Xavier's odds to win the Big East are worse than they are to reach the final four. That's funny. That's that's funny. Uh, So odds to reach the final four, you got Kentucky at five to one, Xavier at 25 to one. They're 31 to win the Big East, 25 to one to reach the final four. And Cincinnati is 75 to one to reach the final four. Uh, I would assume none of those are doing anything for you, right? No, I mean, if you're going to make me pick one, I guess I'd pick Kentucky because they have the best chance, but I hate the odds. I mean, that's that, that, those odds are way too low for me to, to, to venture any capital on that. Yeah, definitely. All right, we've been talking about college basketball for almost 40 minutes. Is there anything else that you wanted to get out there or discuss briefly here, Skinny, before we move on? No, Monday, Monday it all gets underway. I think all the locals, um, uh, and and for us at, at Channel 12, we include, I think, Ohio State's in that mix that we put up on the website. So all the locals are underway on a, on a busy Monday in college basketball. Yeah, Ohio State and Indiana at Local 12 as well. Um, all right, let's move on to the Bengals because it was a huge week for the local professional football team. Joe Burrow was named AFC Offensive Player of the Week for his performance in the Bengals' 31-17 to win at San Francisco on Sunday. He completed 28 of 32 passes for 283 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions. His career-high 87.5 completion percentage led all NFL passers in Week 8 and was the second highest in a game in team history with a minimum of 20 attempts, of course. Uh, Skinny, was that Joe Burrow's best game as a professional? I don't know. I, I go back to the to, to the Chiefs game that clinched the AFC North a couple of years ago. I mean, I, I thought he was in, in, in such a high-level moment. I, th- I thought that was a more spectacular performance. This was more surgical. Um, you know, he didn't hit a ton of deep balls, but, man, was he surgical and was he precise. You know, even the, the completion incompletion that, that snapped the 19 
straight completion streak. The first pass in the second half was a pretty well thrown back shoulder throw. It was just well covered um, and got knocked away. I mean, other than that, I mean, he was spot on. And I think it, it you know, I, I wrote a piece after the game. It was mixed in with Burrow and, and the health of this team and, and the way the defense does its thing, taking it away that this was the game that served notice. This is the, the Bengals are back, but you, you know, for those that were, we're wringing your hands over this team. It literally, Rick, and I've said this on the podcast, to me, this has all been about Joe Burrow's health. And when Joe Burrow returns to full health, this team is still a team to be reckoned with. And they proved that on Sunday, and he proved that on Sunday. Yeah, and that's as much as we get into all these different issues with team, and we're talking about the lack of tight ends to throw to and, and guys not named Jamar Chase play well and different offensive line things. And the D, it's amazing how all of it into place immediately as soon as number nine is back to being himself. And you said that. You've tried to tell us all of it multiple times throughout. You're, you said, I, keep, I think the biggest issue is just Joe Burrow's calf. Once he's healthy, things will look more normal. And sure enough, that was the case. The only thing I don't understand, Skinny, is the defense looked so much better. Is that just a case of being able to play from ahead finally? Yeah, I think I, that, I think that's exactly what it is. Now, listen, they had their issues in the first handful of games. There were a lot of missed tackles, and there's no question about that. And, you know, Luana Rumo brought that up to us numerous times. When we talked. He's right. I mean, it wasn't him making excuses. They missed tackles. You have to tackle. It's part of – it is tackle football, for goodness sakes. The last two games have been their best tackling games. The Seahawks game, they missed five tackles. I think he told me that they missed four in this game. Um, those those are – you know, they had some games where they were missing double-digit tackles. Um and the run fits were bad early in the year. And then you're right. And the, the whole process of never playing from ahead. And, and Lou talked to us extensively about that yesterday of, of what that means. And, and he said, listen, for me as a play caller, it means I take away any worry about the run at that point, especially against a team that is run heavy and does a lot of their past stuff off the run. And I think there's a lot to be said for any team being able to play from ahead. And they just didn't, they weren't able to do that for a, a chunk of the first part of the season. I think one of the other big topic of conversation that every He's focused on, and it this game did it no favors. Irv Smith, just time to move on, or what's the situation at tight end now that they've called Tanner Hudson up from the practice squad? It's going to be interesting to see who's the inactive tight end on Sunday. They're not going to have all four up, in my opinion. Um, you know, we can wring our hands about Drew Sample all we want, but he does serve a specific role for them as a blocker, and sometimes even in the backfield as the running back blocker on third down passing situations. Mitchell Wilcox serves a role on special teams. Irv Smith does not play any special teams. Um, Tanner Hudson doesn't either, at least not for right now that I know of. Um, is it really Irv Smith the inactive tight end on Sunday? I think there's a real good chance of that with Tanner Hudson getting an expanded opportunity to catch the ball. A headline came and went with no movement at the end of October there. Uh, that wasn't a surprise if you've been listening to this podcast at all and what you've been telling us, but we were asked about your opinion on the Bengals not making any moves at the deadline you were expecting that. What are your thoughts on where they're at and how they see the roster right now? Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you can better yourself, you have to go do that. And they do need to better themselves at tight end. I know they like Tanner Hudson, but he was on the practice squad for a reason. He's, he's been a journeyman in this league for a reason. He, he struggles to block. He's a nice receiver and I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm actually writing a story about him today after talking to him yesterday and some others about him. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it works out. But I'm, I'm very surprised they didn't make a move at running back. I, I know they had some hope of evolving Chase Brown into a bigger role, but now Chase Brown's on IR, so that's gone by the wayside. And, and Rick, you know, you're also going to get some compensatory draft picks via free agency at the end of this year. So you could have given up some draft capital and still had picks. Now, I will, I will advise people to this. This is one thing you have to remember. I know everybody looks at the finances as they sit here today. 
We don't know how they're paying for the Joe Burrow stuff yet. Some of this money is going to have to roll over into future years multiple times to pay for that. You're going to have to have a bunch of guys on rookie contracts. So again, when you talk about, well, it's just draft capital. Well, they're going to need the draft picks to be on this roster because they can't afford to pay everybody exorbitant salaries because you're paying the quarterback one. So let's not forget that. But I still think you could have given up a very low round draft pick to get a running back. And that running back to me clearly was Samaj P. Ryan. You know, maybe they couldn't come to a term with Denver. Maybe Denver didn't want to deal him for all I know. I don't know why not. He's the third running back. But yeah, I, I was, I was, I'm not surprised they didn't do anything. I, as you mentioned, I've been saying that, but I'm disappointed they didn't. It is amazing though, how less concerning those two issues are all of a sudden after they beat the 49ers and played the way they did. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it felt like those were huge keys that you had to fix to get the offense unlocked a week or two ago. And now it's like, eh, you know what? They probably throw Tanner Hudson out there. Yeah. I was going to say, Rick, if I could make a trade off for a healthy Joe Burrow right calf or a trade, which one would you take? I think you'd take the healthy Joe Burrow right calf all day. Easy. Uh, Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, missed practice on a He's battling a shoulder injury, though. I mean, he still threw for two touchdowns and over the Bucks. He's still expected to start against the Bengals. Or do you think it's just being overblown and for the media to talk about during the week lead up? No, no, I'm, no I, I think it's legit. The injury issue is legit. The one thing they've done with him is he, he's not involved in the quarterback run game as much this year. He, he, he averaged, I think, seven rushing attempts each of the last couple of seasons. He only averaged a little over three rushing attempts this year. And I would venture to guess most of those are scrambles. I've watched, I'm sure you have too, a handful of Bulls or Bills plays or games or whatever through red zone or whatever other vehicle Thursday night game. They they don't incorporate him in the run game as much. And and I think that's probably compromised their offense a little bit, but also I think you got to worry about the quarterback's health. So I do think it's an issue because um, you know, it's, it's a couple of shots here and there who knows what happens in that game. All right, let's move on to college football, unless you have anything else that we didn't touch on there with, with the Bengals. Good. Getting good to move. All right. Uh, the first college football playoff rankings were released this week. Number one, Ohio State. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Michigan. And number four, Florida State made up the top four spots as revealed on Tuesday night. We, we talked about it a little last week, Skinny. Do you have a problem with Ohio State over Georgia? I do. I mean, again, it's the king. The king. The king doesn't get knocked off the throne until somebody does it. You, you can argue about um, aesthetics and all those things. I mean, they've been aesthetically pretty good here of late, especially. I mean, they kicked Florida's ass. And listen, Ohio State was good in the Penn State game. I didn't think they were great. Um, and they've the, the couple of big moments for Ohio State, they've been good but not great. You know, the Notre Dame game you could argue was literally won by the skin of your teeth. How is that the number one team in the ranking? I mean, when all said and done, they're going to all get a chance to prove it on the field. But I was a little, I was a little shocked by this, to be honest with you. I told you last week. I mean, I think when they do these college football playoff rankings, they are looking at it differently than voters do or the traditional polls. And I don't know if that's right or wrong. It is much more based on what your resume actually at this point. Red would be, according to Vegas, if you played on a neutral field or what the eye test suggests. And if you go by that and you look at what Ohio State has accomplished, beating Penn State, who I think was like 11th or 12th in the, the college football playoff rankings, and Notre Dame, who was 15th, they clearly have the best two wins out of everyone in the country, especially out of, of these teams we're talking about. Now, that has plenty of time to change still. Georgia and Michigan both have 
really difficult schedules coming up. Michigan's going to play Penn State and Ohio State here in the final weeks of the season. So there's plenty of, of room for this to flip still, but I'm not surprised by Ohio State being ranked number one. And uh, I don't know that I really have a problem with it either, That, but I I, uh, I figured you would not be happy about it. Well, I, I, yeah, you're gonna, they're all going to get a chance to prove. That's the beauty of the college football playoff. Um, but, I mean, honestly, if you went to a neutral site right now, who would you favor, Georgia or Ohio State, and by how much? Georgia, I think it maybe six and a half. That's a pretty significant spread. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. And I, I think you're right about what you're saying. Like, Georgia is the top dog, and they deserve to have that crown in an AP poll or whatever. But um, – I kind of get where the college football playoff rankings are coming from. And I like the fact that they're agnostic to any other previous. I mean, they're not worried about what you did last season. They're not worried about how good you were last year. And you won the title. It's like, what did you do this season? That's how you earn your ranking. And, and it'll change. Georgia wins a few more games here to close out their sec slate. Do you have, do you think that the cheating scandal impacted Michigan at all? I don't. I, I, I think that's they're probably where they should be. I mean, I could argue Florida State actually should be above them, maybe. But no, I, I think Michigan's the third best team. I, I, I do. Um, they just I, haven't I, played I, anybody I, either. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but I do wonder what that scandal is going to do to this team moving. At what point does it really become the major distraction that it feels like it's going to become? It, that, that, that image of the guy with the sunglasses is going to start popping up as memes on all these old famous. He's going to be on Mount Rushmore. He's going to be at the Kennedy assassination. He's going to be, I mean, he's going to be popping up everywhere. It's true. This video. Cause I mean, it's true. His head literally just kind of like pops up from the side and you see the little ball and you're like, Oh man, that's as damning as it gets right. there. All right, let's do our uh, college football roundup real quickly here. Ohio State beat Luke Fickle's Wisconsin team 24-10 to last Saturday. The Buckeyes will play at Rutgers this week. I think the big storyline right now with Ohio State, aside from the fact that they didn't get that half a point to cover the line on last <laughs> Saturday for me, was that the all the injuries are starting to pile up a little bit. Mayan Williams, the running back, is now out for the year. Uh, safety, Lathan Ransom, who is a big part of that right vaunted defense, seems like he has an ominous injury now. We don't really know what it is or how long he's going to be out, but – uh, just hearing Ryan Day talk, he kind of gave a weird answer to it of like, yeah, we're we're going to talk about that more later in the week. We'll know more. But it, it didn't sound like it was that he was going to be right back. It sounds like he's going to miss him next period. So we'll see what happens. And then Kyle Court even is dealing with ankle injury right now. Now, he obviously played. seemed like he retweaked that during the game. I, I don't know where it's at now. Uh, he'll continue to play through it and, and play fine. But uh, it's. It's not a guy who's already not mobile and doesn't have a lot of playmaking ability. Not great to have him playing on a bum wheel. And Devin Brown's hurt. Yeah. And his backups hurt too. And the other thing is with Mayan Williams, he's kind of like their short yardage guy, the guy you can put in at the goal line. Devin Brown is probably the next best option for those situations going sort of wildcat quarterback run stuff. And you don't have, so they are, I think down some weapons in the red zone for sure. Uh, Anything else that, stood out to you this week from Ohio state. The defense keeps doing its thing. And that's the one thing you can hang your hat on. And, and yeah, Lathan ransom is a big part of that, but I mean, it's such a talented defense. And I think the good part for the injury aspect of it is you can almost coast until Michigan. Right. I mean, so I think that's the big part is make sure you get a full hands on deck by the time you play Michigan. Yeah. A Cincinnati got spanked by Oklahoma state 45 on Saturday. 
Uh, Emory Jones was just six of 16 yards against Oklahoma State. He had an intercept, a 10.1 quarterback rating. He attempted just five passes in the first half. And I mean, I, I don't think we need to just keep banging the same drum every week about Cincinnati, but I mean, quite honestly, they just have no chance right now with the way this passing game's going. Well, but the one thing that's and listen, I I, I was the one that started the whole I wasn't a big Emory Jones fan, so I'm not going to continue to beat on him either. The thing that's been disappointing has been how bad the defense has played. Yeah, because they were supposed to be good, but it, but it's also when the offense yeah. is going three and out every possession, it's hard to just stay on the field the whole game and get stops. Yeah, but I mean, the offense didn't go three and out all the time against Iowa State. And it didn't go three and out all the time against Baylor. I mean, in those two games, they were the defense. The defense hasn't been good in any Big 12 game yet. That's true. Yeah, I mean, they let great. I mean, honestly, Rick, their best performance was probably the Oklahoma game, right? Yeah, it, well, no, not even maybe. It definitely is right yeah. now in terms of the Big 12 performances. But Ollie Gordon, the second, ran 25 times for. That's. I mean, defensively, you just got to tackle somebody. That, Correct. That could Correct. Get it done. I mean, I hate uh, to say and, it, it. It feels like they've quit a little bit. I wasn't putting that on them the last few weeks because they had those comebacks. You know, they made that game close and it's like, okay, they're still fighting. They're, they're, they're staying in these games, but against Oklahoma State was not pretty. And uh, they've got UCF, who has also been struggling to make the adjustment to the Big 12. They've got them at home. This is a an important game from that standpoint. If you want to look like you still have this locker room, and these guys are still playing for you. If you're Scott Satterfield, you got to show up. You can't give UCF their first Big Twelve win on your home field. Exactly, all of those things. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this is going to prove whether or not this guy can do anything at all as a coach. And again, he already had one strike on him. Strike two is already coming, and I don't know if he's got a chance to foul off another pitch. You know, yeah. Th- this feels like they better figure out a way to pull the plug as soon as they can pull the plug. Best conference there, Scott. I don't know. I mean, you're not doing a lot to inspire confidence when you're talking to me. No. Games. All right. Uh, Kentucky fell at home to number 19, Tennessee, 33-27. The Wildcats play at Mississippi State this Saturday. Skinny, the offense was there. I mean, they, they put up 444 total yards. The, the defense is just a disaster right now for Kentucky, and I don't understand that at all because the defense has either. never been. That's the that's the part that's most distressing for me is the defense. I, I, I thought this had a chance to be a really, really good group this year. I mean, they had a great front line. The linebackers were good. The question was cornerback, and their best players arguably been a, been a cornerback, Malik Harrison. Um, so, you know, it, it, they didn't tackle well. Um, they, they've gotten run on. And I know Tennessee's a terrific running team, all of those things, blah, 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 But really, for the most part in the SEC, this defense has not been – I mean, they weren't even very good in the Vandy game. They did return two pick sixes. They weren't even very good in that game. And, and that, that's the disappointing part to me is they had the parts on paper for this to be a really good defense, and it hasn't worked out. And I don't know whose fault that is. Well, I mean, they spotted Tennessee a 10 nothing lead in the first quarter – and then it was a great game after that. I mean, they played well. The quarterback sneak call was the dumbest damn thing I've ever seen. Trying to sneak a yard and a half—that was stupid. Yeah, I, I I didn't get that at all. But uh, there, it's weird because Liam Cohen, I think, are called some really good games. I like a yeah. lot of things they're doing. But then there are some some decisions like that where it's like, where is that coming from? Is, yeah, what is that about? 
Um, we watched team. We watched team. Up, we watched team up there in Philadelphia. Run that old that old tush push. We thought we could tush push it. Too. You idiot! You're not going to tush push a guy who's not very mobile. A yard and a half. Turn around, and hand off to the best running back in the league. Maybe might be a good idea. Uh, Skinny, one thing that keeps coming up, we just talked a lot about John Calipari, so now I guess we'll, we'll switch sides and go to his his counterpart on the football side of things. UK fans have, have been upset this year, obviously, with the, the lack of results. And so anytime that happens, it comes back on the head coach and how much money he's making, all that stuff. And one of the arguments that they've gone back and forth with on Kentucky Sports Radio is – Matt Jones and his guys are talking about, well, you're not going to do better than Mark Stoops. That's what it costs to have a good head coach. What he's making is what he's making and not going to do. And you should be happy with what he's giving you, even despite the fact that he's the ninth highest paid coach for it, making $9 million a year. So my question for you is, should UK have higher standards based on the fact that Mark Stoops is one of the highest paid coaches in the sport and that he's making $9 million a year? Yes, because they've, they've upgraded facilities consistently. They've paid coaches to, to make sure you, you have stability. Um, you're, you're willing to invest in the football program. You know, I know the perception is it's a basketball school, and that's always going to be the perception, but they have financed football very handsomely. And so do I expect Kentucky to compete for national championships? I think that's a very hard ask. But can I ask them to take the next step as a program at some point here? Um, can you can you consistently beat a Tennessee? I, Listen, this this season, I'm trying to search for another win. I think they can beat South Carolina, but it's on the road. I think they can beat Mississippi State, but it's on the road. I do think they can beat Louisville, but I'm not assured of it. I don't think they can beat Alabama. So is this another year where you eke into another bowl? I'm, uh, listen, I, years ago, if you'd have told me this 15, 20 years ago, that Kentucky was going to consistently be a bowl team, I probably would have said, sign me up. I'm not signed up anymore for the Mayo Bowl or the Liberty Bowl or the crappy Music City Bowl. I'm tired of it. I, you're getting paid to do more, do more, bro. Yeah. And I, I agree with what Matt Jones is saying from the standpoint of, I don't know that Kentucky will ever be more than it is right now. And you look around at what other coaches are getting paid. It's like, well, you know, the, the other coaches that are ranked eighth, 10th, 11th, 12th, guess what? They ain't winning national titles either. Like a lot of schools that aren't having huge success are paying their, their coaches that much money. So it's not like Kentucky is like crazy out of line with what, spending i do there will be an adjustment to the market when all these schools are saying hey we've got to pay our players more money for nal and then people are looking like come from well maybe it'll come from the 10 million dollars a year we're paying our our head coaches and i mean because zach taylor right now for the bengals has been to a super bowl and to an afc championship game he makes half of what stoops makes he makes yeah, four and a half million a year you know why because they pay his players all the money joe burrow makes a lot of money Jamar Chase makes a lot of money, you know, that. So that's going to happen in college athletics as we continue down this NIL path. I think you'll see that. But I, but I, you can't be afraid to, you can't let mediocrity be the enemy of great. Right. Like, don't, don't just settle because what you have right now is, oh, it's better than what we used to have. It's like, well, no, if you're, if you're willing to pay as much money as anyone in the, then you should types of expectations. For next guy, the next guy may be able to take you to that level. Hey, I'm as a Kentucky grad, I'm fully appreciative of what Mark Stoops has done for this program, and I think everybody should keep that in check. That hey, you can be appreciative, but at the same time, once you've hit a plateau, are we just going to be satisfied with that plateau, or are you looking to do more? Exactly. So, I think the the overall takeaway here would be no one Mark Stoops. That would be silly. 
But at the same time, Mark Stoops probably needs to lose the attitude a little bit with the fan base. Yes. Stop, stop doing the whole, like, well, you guys are pony up and for NIL here if you want to compete with Georgia and the like. So, well, buddy, you're getting paid just like their coach is getting paid. You're right there at the top of the sport, making as much as anybody. So I'm going to ask you to do a little bit more with that, and I think that's fair. Well, and I, I and, and to the point of – I think they've got the players to compete with literally anybody in the league not named Georgia and Alabama. I really do. So if if that's the case, then is are these losses to Tennessee and to the Missouris and to the South Carolinas and even to a Vanderbilt last year, what's that come down? Does it come down to coaching at that point? And maybe it does. As convinced that they have that type of talent. I mean, year after year, recruiting rankings wise, they are like 30th, you know? Tennessee, Tennessee has some top 10 years. Tennessee has some top 15 years. UK almost never does. They're, they're not up there in terms of recruiting yet. I think they do a pretty good job of putting a roster together that is competitive in the league. And Mark Stoops deserves a ton of credit for what he's done. But there is definitely a level here that they're not achieving. And in terms of SEC success. And I think one thing that help but give us a more clear indication of how he's doing is the expanded playoff. Because that now will be the next step for Kentucky. Is you consistently that college football playoff, right? When it goes to twelve teams, of course. When it goes to twelve teams, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, let's get into betting, Skinny. You had a monster week last week. I hope you did as well in real life as you did in our pick 'em. You were six and two here. You are now 35, 24 and one overall. I am four. I was four and four last week. I'm thirty, twenty nine and one overall. Your teaser did not. Minus 32 over Indiana was an absolute disaster. That's two weeks in a row I've had bets. Uh, so we'll just skip on right past that and move on to our picks for this week. Saturday at noon, we've got Ohio State as a 19-point favorite at Rutgers. The total is 42.5. The Greg Schiano Bowl, the former Ohio State assistant coach, former Rutgers head coach, now Rutgers head coach again. They've had a nice season. He's done a really good job with, with them. Um, he's a good coach. Um, he's goofy. He's a good coach. Um I think Rutgers finds a way to ugly this up and, and at least cover it, keep it inside the number. Ohio State will never be threatened to lose this game, in my opinion. But I'll go Buckeyes 27, Rutgers 13. So Rutgers to cover, and that would be the under for me as well. All right, so Rutgers and the under for you. I'm going, even though they forsaked me last week, I'm not going to get silly here and uh, get mad at them. I'm going to stick with Ohio State to cover a big number. I'm going to go 31 to 10, Ohio State in the under for me. So Saturday at 3.30, we've got UCF at Cincinnati. UCF is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and the total is 59 for this one. Um, you know, UCF had had uh, Oklahoma dead to rights, and, I, and maybe that was just a bad sign for Oklahoma of things to come, and they end up losing to Kansas anyway. But they they moved the ball up and down the field. They can move the ball. They run it well. John Rice Plumley's a nice quarterback. I think UC is in woe is me mode at the moment. They can't figure out the quarterback. And if they go back to Emory Jones, what's that even going to look like? I, I know this is at, at Nippert. And unfortunately, they got beat by Ohio, Iowa State and Baylor in Nippert, too. Um, I, I'm going to go UCF big in this. I'll go UCF 34, UC 16. 34, 16. So that's going to be UCF and the over there. Or, yeah. No, you're at 50, right? Yeah, yes. you're 50. So you're, you're way under there. Um, I'm going to go UCF to win this game as well. Not quite as big as you. I'm going to go UCF 30, UC 20. So UCF and the under for me, we're playing the same thing in this. And I'm with you. I mean, neither one of these teams have been good in Big 12 play. But UCF two weeks ago, 
had a real chance to beat Oklahoma, lost by two points or whatever it was. Cincinnati the last few weeks has, has looked like an absolute mess. And, I mean, we were just talking a few minutes ago about is this the, the week where it finally looks like they've completely quit and the locker room has been lost. So uh, two teams that are both in a bad spot, but it feels like Cincinnati is much more of a mess right now. Saturday at 7.30, you've got UK at Mississippi State. The Wildcats are a four-point favorite. The total is 46. Yeah, one of two things, Kentucky's going to respond in a big way or they're going to get their ass kicked, and I'm leaning towards the latter. I mean, this feels like a woe is me moment after the loss to Tennessee. I am I hate to do it, but I'm, I'm going to go against them. I'm going to take Mississippi State 27, Kentucky 24. So Mississippi State, and I, I don't even know where that puts the total. 51, that would be an over there. But, uh, the total is 46 for this game. So, um, wow. I can't believe you're, you're going it against It felt like that was kind of last stand time last week. It really did. Like, you know, you come out of that at six and two with, you still feel like you're fighting for a really good bowl. And now it feels like, what are you going to get out of this? Seven and five. If you're lucky, they're six and six. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, that, that I said all week, it's, it's basketball season now. Like you lose yeah. that game and no one cares. It's over. I agree with all of that. At the same time, this Mississippi state team is just not they're trash. Good. I'm going to go Kentucky 27, Mississippi State 21. They find a way to get it done. It hits I the over. So. By the way, Kentucky games are 6-2 and two to the over this year. Their last five games have gone over. So, I mean, it's a number that I, every week when I see the number for Kentucky games, I think, God, that looks like a for. But this year, that hasn't been the case. They've been giving up plenty of points, and they've been scoring too. So uh, keep an eye on that over at 46. And then finally, we move to the Sunday night game. Big one here. Bills at Bengals. The Bengals are two-point favorite. The total is 49 and a half. DeMar Hamlin's heart seems like it's doing well. I don't believe he'll be playing in this game, but he will be there. So hopefully we'll be able to get this one in. This is going to be my bet of the week. I'm not even going to go with the teaser either, Rick. I, I think the Bengals steamroll Buffalo. Sunday night, that place will be electric. Buffalo just seems like it's a dysfunctional mess at the moment on both sides of the ball. Some of it is injury-related on the defensive side of things. I think the Bengals put up a big number in this one on Sunday night. I'll go Bengals 34, Bills 21. So the Bengals in the over for me, and that's my bet of, my best bet of the week. All right. So Bengals absolutely rolled the Bills outright, and uh, it goes well over the total there. Um, I like the Bengals as well. I like the Bengals to win. I'm going 27 to 1. So I'm going Bengals and just under that 49 and a half number, a little separation there for us. You said Bengals is your best bet of the week. Yep. I like that. I like that thought. I'm actually going to ride this with a little crossover play here. I'm going UCF to cover three and a half. Bengals money line parlay. There you go. I like it. my favorite bet of the week. A couple units on that. All right. Ask any anything. We'll fly through this because we're way over time here. Uh, Bob Knight died at the age of 83 on Wednesday. Skinny, do you have a favorite Bob Knight memory or story? I will say I, I was in a uh, in my early days in journalism. Um, I covered some of the uh, Big Four, which used to be an event up in Indianapolis where Notre Dame, Louisville, U- UK, and Indiana, and they would kind of mix and match different years. He was an intimidating SOB in a press conference. He really and truly was. Now, I was a young guy then, so I really didn't have much to ask, but it, it, just his presence, there was something about the presence now, he was an ass at times, too, obviously, in those things, overdone. But I can just remember the first time he walked into a room, I, I, my I, my throat just swelled. It's like, God, it's him. It's really him. Just don't act like an idiot. Don't be an idiot. I mean, that's the only thing that was going through my mind 
um, uh, you know, since that point in time, I mean, I probably would react much differently to the Bob Knight today. I may tell him to go shove it if he said something to me. But back then, man, there was an order to that cat for sure. Fully like you now in the same room as Bob Knight post game press conferences would be <laughs> an interesting sight to watch. Yeah, it probably would be. <laughs> I feel like there'd be some clashing going on there. Uh, yeah. Skinny, how do you feel about fans using words such as we or us when referring to their favorite team? I often receive, you don't play for them as a response. Ah, that's that's my belief too. You don't play for them. You don't coach for them. It isn't a we or us. I guess if you're a graduate of a school, maybe that can be an us because you are part of that school, if you will, but you're not part of the Bengals or the Reds or whatever team you want to talk. That's not we or us, in my opinion. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. You do you, but it's just... It's not something I'm ever going to do. This is this is one of those silly sports things we do. And media members love this because we take ourselves so seriously. Everyone gets all worked up about their, them being impartial and being objective journalists. So everyone is like, it's a big taboo thing. If you ever hear a guy in sports talk doing this, uh, everyone jumps on him and makes fun of him. And I, I hear more and more fans doing this too. It's just like, who cares? You all do it. I hear all of you doing it. The reason this is a thing or a question or it comes up is because so many people do it. So it's like, why do you all care what other people are doing it as fans of their teams? If you want to say we, yeah, I, call it I, we. Listen, my dad's dad always called the Bengals we and us. My dad's always done that. Yeah, I'm not playing the we or us police, mind you. It's just not something I do. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I don't I don't particularly do it, but uh, it's people get worked up about the dumbest things, and that's one that's like, who cares at all? What's the best basketball arena concession item? Best basketball arena concession item. Beer flavored beer. Yeah, that's always a good thing. Believe it or not, there's there's a soft serve cone at Rupp Arena that's pretty damn good. I hear that that people just go nuts about this Rupp Arena ice cream. Is it just vanilla? What's the yeah? But it's just I don't know. Maybe there's maybe I, I don't know what there is to it. Maybe it's just because you don't see that in a lot of arenas. Maybe I, I don't know, but that's a pretty good one for me to be quite frank. I do. I kind of think that's just strictly because it's such a a novel concept of seeing someone walk around with an ice cream cone inside the arena. Um, If we're going food, I think I just think pretzel and cheese is kind of the easiest thing to, to take care. I mean, hot dog is probably easier, but I don't really like hot dogs all that much. Yeah. I'm I'm usually one. Yeah. I'm not a big, I I love hot dogs, but I usually don't get one in a game for whatever. I'm usually, I'm just a bag of peanuts guy. Yeah. I mean, if you're outside at a baseball game, that's easy because you don't have to worry about the mess, but. Yeah, the handful of games I go to as a as a fan, if you will, or just go to watch. My my friend has season tickets to Xavier, and uh, sometimes it's he and his father, but sometimes his father's in Florida, um, so he's unable to go. And so when he asked me, I'd probably go to three to five Xavier games, maybe a year. And it seems to me, it's it's just a bag of peanuts, and then the beer concessions right below me. So it's a it's a pretty good mixture. Do people, for me. what's that? Do people eat the peanuts at the basketball games? I do. Oh, I didn't realize that they were doing that. So you just throw it on the floor just like you do at the uh, – No. See, see, here's here's another quirk for me, Rick. You I eat, eat the, the shell and all. You sick. That's, so, that's disgusting. All right. What's your favorite breakfast here? Um, Grape nuts. Grape nuts with yogurt, actually. That's about the only oh, breakfast very- cereal I've ever, I, I, I ever eat. Very mature of you. Yeah, as a kid, it was Frosted Flakes right out of the box. But, no, I'm a I'm – a, my dad actually turned me on when I was a kid to grape nuts. He'd have a bowl of grape nuts almost every morning. I had them one morning, and I, I don't like – I'm goofy. I don't like milk and cereal. I don't know why. I like milk, and I like cereal. I don't like milk and cereal, so I will usually mix it with yogurt instead. So you just 
you, no milk at all? It's just like granola no, on top to of your dry. yogurt or what? Yeah, yeah. I just would mix the yogurt with the with the grape nuts. It's good. And grape nuts is like eating cardboard too. And I don't mind grape nuts. I actually kind of like it. But you know how it's like it it screws with your mind in terms of how much you're pouring out because it's so condensed. Yes. Just those little pellets. Little, yeah. So back in the yeah. day, and it's a to my mom would buy it back in the day for like her breakfast. And as a kid, I would take it and just like pour a big old bowl of it. It's like that's half a box. You just pour it out like there, son. And then of course you waste the whole thing because it's like way too much food. Grape nuts is a weird cereal, man. But kudos to you. I would go uh, Cocoa Pebbles. Mm. When was the last time Skinny? Good. No, I was gonna say I, I was never a Cocoa Pebbles guy. I, I, yeah, or Fruity Pebbles, sure. either of that, any of that stuff. When was the last time a Skinny slammed a full beer? I'm not. I assume that was a typo with the extra A there, but. Um. <laughs> so this must have been somebody that was so Sunday after the game. I was down doing my TV stuff and came back up to the press box in Santa Clara where the Bengals played the 49ers. And Kelsey Conway, the inquirer, had this big grin on her face. And Paul Daner Jr. was sitting there and he said, sit down. We got we got something for you. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my, what, what what's going on here? And I don't I maybe I'm so naive. I don't know what the term iced means. So she reaches around. She has a long neck Bud Light and goes, you've been iced. And I, really, I said, I don't even know what that means. She goes, you have to chug it. And I said, well, give me a second. I said, I just got a lemonade. Let me take a sip of the lemonade real fast because I'm thirsty. So I took a sip of the lemonade. She goes, no, come on. You got to chug this. All right. And I did it. She's got a picture of it and everything of me finishing it up. So I I, I, I showed my my former college self and chugged a, a long neck Bud Light in the press box. I, it, was, it was kind of her to get me one. Well, I don't know who asked this question now. I'm trying to find it. And I don't see it on Twitter, but I'm curious because I assume it was someone that had to be in there. Or did you talk about this That's on an my appearance guess. recently or something? That, that, okay. that would be my right. guess is, is whoever else was, was the Ben baby was up there. There was a handful of James Rapine. I think was up there. Mike, Mike Petralia was up there. They all got a chance to witness my stupidity. Yeah. Uh, has skinny ever drank kombucha and what are his thoughts? If so, I don't even know what that is. Fair enough. What Me neither. That? Really? Okay. I, it's, it's like a, I don't know. It's for gut health. I think it's like some fermented something or other. It's disgusting no. looking. No, uh, your favorite Halloween memory. Um, yeah, as I've said, I'm not a Halloween guy. I did dress up for Halloween back in high school for a costume for a Halloween party at a friend's house. I think I've told this story before, but I drank a bunch of slow gin, which not only I dressed up as a woman. So I not only had like lipstick on it, enhanced it because slow gin's red, got somehow taken home. My grandmother was watching. My mom and dad were gone for the weekend. So it was my grandmother watching us. Uh, My sister had a girlfriend over spending the night. Um, my sister and I didn't share a bathroom directly, but the bathroom in the hall was the one that we kind of shared. So I was in there puking my guts out. Girl comes in to, to use the bathroom. She, I guess, I guess I'd fallen asleep with hugging the toilet. And when I looked up, I still had that big red thing around my face. She laughed so hard. She peed standing up. <laughs> Good Halloween memory. Yeah. And, uh, finally we'll wrap it up with this. Another, uh, Holiday related question. When does Christmas officially start, Skinny? For me, December 24th. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I, I listen, I do celebrate the holiday. I celebrate there is a reason for the season, but uh yeah, I know uh talking to a couple of people, their Christmas started November first and they're starting to put up decorations. And I know there's a station in town that's kind of been their uh MO over the years to start playing Christmas music. Um I, I 
I like I like about a week before the holiday. I start to kind of feel it a little bit. But yeah, honestly, for me, it's the, it'll it'll be Christmas Eve day. Yeah. Well, in the past on this show, we've said some negative things about Christmas. Now that I have a kid, I don't know if I'm still allowed to do that. So I'll turn it down a bit. But uh, well, yeah, not, yeah, not really. yeah, you'll you'll uh, you'll you'll come to a, to appreciate them when they they are of age when when your child is of age to to really enjoy Christmas. There is something to that. Um, you know, we used to have a tradition of of a, you know kids would open their gifts and then have a nice family breakfast. And then everybody would come. Then I go to the other room and watch NBA games. So that that was using my my Christmas day. If you come will. on, son, let me show you how to do a three game parlay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, that's all we got. All right, good stuff as always. I appreciate it. Thanks for the questions as well. We will be back back next week with college basketball fully underway and much, much more to talk about. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pobre edition, presented by Blake, the Attorney Mason.